Well, we are starting a new series today, and um, I appreciate Russ jumping in last week and, and teaching last week, and um, we're starting this series, a Sermon on the Mount, and what I want to do for this summer is basically go through Jesus's message that um, he gave to his disciples and those that were listening to him. Um, and it starts in Matthew chapter 5, and it finishes with Matthew chapter 7, 29. But, but what I want to do is before we just dive into the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, which I think is an incredible message, it's a powerful sermon that Jesus gives to those that are listening and the expectation that Jesus has for those that are going to follow him. But before we do that, I want to look at the person of Matthew, because I believe if you, if you understand the background of Matthew and the person that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down um, in Jesus' words, I think it gives us a better understanding of, of who we are. Because Matthew is a person that's just like you and I, that the Lord called to come follow him. And Matthew wasn't a person that had it all together. Um, and that, that's what I love about Jesus calling his disciples. He didn't, he didn't call the elite or the best that was in the side, or those that thought they were the most religious or had it all together. He really responded to those in that society that were really the outcast, that actually listened to the voice of God to drop everything and follow the voice of Christ. And that's kind of what we see in, in Matthew, because Matthew was a very interesting disciple of Jesus. He was one of the original 12 disciples. And before he became a disciple of Christ, he had probably one of the most hated jobs in all of Israel. He was the dreaded tax collector, right? And we love taxes living in New York, don't we? Just love that time of the year when the school taxes and the property taxes come. And you, you, we pay taxes for everything, right? And we just, we love doing that, don't we? We just respond to that. We say, more, please raise our taxes because we love that. We, 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 we're, we love being... The, the state with the highest taxes in the country, don't we? Us in California are always battling our right. I, I don't hear many amens out there this morning. Are you guys, um, because that shouldn't deserve an amen, right? And so he was this dreaded tax collector. Um, and the reason why is because he worked for Rome, who was in control of Israel at the time, and they considered him a traitor. And let's just say that Matthew didn't have many friends because of that. And, and the religious of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that thought of themselves as followers of God and would follow God's commandments, very meticulous, and they, they thought they had it all together, they would actually look at tax collectors and actually call them sinners. And so much, uh, uh, even spending time with a tax collector would actually tarnish your reputation. So there were outcasts. You, you, if, if you went to eat at their house, you would be considered one of their friends, and thus you would be considered one of them, and thus you would be looked down upon within your society. So you didn't want to hang out with them. It's just they did their job. They got wealthy at what they did, and, and many of them were very corrupt in what they did, and so obviously um, they weren't very well liked. And Jesus, what he does is, is he goes to Matthew's house and actually has dinner with him, as well as other tax collectors and, and, and sinners. And, and, and this, is, this is just for Jesus to do this, he knew that he was going to draw attention to himself because now uh, the eyes are going to be and the ears are going to be perked up from the Pharisees and the religious of that time because they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to say, wait a minute, he's hanging out with sinners. And so much critique is going to come against Jesus for doing this. 
And so this did not sit with the religious at the time. They accused Jesus of being a sinner because he associated with sinners. And so when Jesus' disciples, they were questioned by the Pharisees and the elite religious people of that time. And they were questioned and they were asking, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And and I believe that if we're going to understand Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and we're going we're gonna to respond to the words of Jesus. We have to understand what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 9. And this is the first verse I want to throw out to you because Jesus, what he does is he calls out to those who will follow him. And, and if, 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 if our hearts are not right, if, if, we, if, if we come to Christ saying, I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to come to you with all my good things because that's the side of you I want you to see, Jesus. I want you to see my, my, my good side. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to put some cologne on. I'm going to smell good. I'm going to look good because, Jesus, this is what I want you to see. But that's not who Jesus calls. Jesus says, listen, if you're going to respond to me, you've got to come broken. You got to come messed up. You got to come bruised and hurt. Because if we come that way, then what God begins to do, He begins to redeem the brokenness and the hurt in our life. And then He begins to use us as a trophy of His grace and said, Now I'm going to use you. Don't come to me with your giftings. Don't come to me with, Hey, look how good I am, Jesus. I grew up. I, you know, I did all these good things and um, I'm a good person. No, 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 no. That's not who Jesus wants. Jesus wants the broken, the messed up, the dysfunctional. And that's who we see in Matthew. And I believe this verse for Matthew absolutely changed his life. And I believe for Matthew, this is the reason why he responded to the call of Jesus. Because for Matthew, he's probably thinking, why in the world, Jesus, are you calling me to become your disciple? No one else wants me. Everybody else has rejected me because of my occupation. Why do you want me? Why would you respond to me? And listen to the words here of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verses, uh, Matthew 9, verses 12 through 13. Listen to what Jesus says here. I love this. And this is how Jesus responds to the so-called religious at the time. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And everybody said, duh, right? We all know that, right? It, it, healthy people don't go see it. It's the sick people. He says, then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And this is what he says. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. So I want you to understand something here. The Pharisees would go into the temple. They would offer up their sacrifices. They let everybody know what they're doing. And Jesus says, but they don't understand mercy. They don't understand grace. They understand what it means to sacrifice for God. They understand what it means to go through all the religious calisthenics. They get all that, but they don't show mercy. Instead of reaching out to Matthew and trying to love on him and bring him into the fold, they reject him and label him and call him a sinner. People, let's be careful when we look into our world And we automatically make judgment statements about the world. And we separate ourselves from them by saying, oh, we're this, but they're that. Let's be careful with that kind of a heart. Because that's not how Jesus looks at the world. The way Jesus looks at the world is there's another sinner who needs grace and mercy and needs to come home. He needs to be shown. He needs to come home. 
And so he goes on to say this. He says, for I have come to call not, not those who think they are religious. That's not who he calls. Jesus didn't come to add another religious system. He didn't come to add another religion. What Jesus came to do is to have a relationship with you. And he actually had a relationship with a sinner. God forbid that Jesus would do that. And this is Matthew. He says, but this is who he calls. Are you ready? This is who Jesus calls. Not those who've got it all together. Not those who say, look at what I've done. Not those who come all dressed nice, smell good, look good, talk the right way, use the right religious language. Hallelujah. Right? This is who he calls. But those who know, those who know they are sinners. The broken, the ones that say, yeah, I've screwed up. Yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, Jesus. I don't know why you receive me because really my resume does not look good. If, if you know, I, And it's funny because I love talking to people, you know, and just getting to know their story. And, and especially when people know I'm a pastor, they end up making excuses for not coming to church or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, pastor, I just, you know, I don't have a suit to wear. That's all right. Just come as you are. Uh, Pastor, you know, I've been been in church in a long time since I was a kid, and my life isn't that great. Come just as you are. See, Jesus doesn't put any roadblocks in front of those who just come as they are. He says, just come. He already knows. He, He knows your stuff. So you trying to put Febreze on your stuff doesn't work. Right? Don't we do that? We try to make our sin smell better by, by dressing it up and talking right, or, or putting on this facade to show people that we're actually, but we're not. We're stinky. We're stinky sinners. And Jesus says, stinky sinners come. Stinky sinners come. Those are the ones that I'm calling, and that's who Matthew was. And here's what happened to Matthew. Matthew was the one that Jesus saved. He saved the stinky, lousy tax collector. Matthew left everything behind to follow Jesus. Matthew understood that he was a sinner that needed saving. He left behind his riches, his security. He embraced a life of hardship for a life with Jesus, even martyrdom. This this is who Matthew was. And so when when we go through the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to realize... Matthew is writing from a person. He's writing down what Jesus did. But Matthew is not this obscure person that you think, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is a sinner just like you and I that Jesus called. Do you get that? I think sometimes we place these apostles and we're, you know, we place them on this high, woo, woo, Matthew, right? No. Matthew was just like you and I. He was a stinky sinner that came to Jesus. That's who he was. Normal guy with a lot of screw-ups, made a lot of mistakes, probably ripped a lot of people off. But Jesus called him. And so Matthew is one of these books of the four Gospels that shares the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I, I want us to understand this is the heart that this book is coming from, a sinner just like you and I, that Jesus redeemed and called to follow him. And so here's the reason why I wanted to study the Sermon on the Mount. 
I think a lot of pastors avoid the Sermon on the Mount because it seems so incredibly hard to follow. When you read it, and if you read through it, I would recommend you to read through it yourself. Um, when you read through it, it seems so impossible to follow. Like, right away you read it, you feel condemned. Like, oh my gosh, I've broken half these things that he's talking about already. How could I ever be a follower of Jesus? And here's the thing I want you to see about the Sermon on the Mount. I think there's a reason why Jesus does that. Jesus kind of throws the gauntlet down and said, listen, the kingdom of God is not made up of a bunch of religious people that follow a bunch of rules. Here's the standard. And the standard is way up here. And guess what? None of us can follow it. Right? Did anybody follow the Ten Commandments perfectly? Can anybody follow all the commandments, 613 commandments? No, you break one, you break them all. No one can follow it. So we're all instant failures. So let's just close the doors of the church and go home and we'll do something else on Sunday morning, right? But Jesus calls sinners and he says, listen, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to accomplish all this for you. And then he says, now I want you to follow me by faith. And trust me to know that I'm your righteousness, that things don't make your righteousness. I make you righteous. Do you realize that things don't make you righteous? By trying to do all the good, good, good in your life, the the word of God even tells us that, that our works are filthy rags under the Lord. So it's not that. It's Jesus who's righteous in me. And so in a relationship with Jesus, God imputes the righteousness of Christ into my life that I can now follow Jesus, even though I'm going to make mistakes. I have one that I can turn to now and confess my sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and and make me righteous. So stop trying to be righteous the wrong way. Be righteous through Christ. And so when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, don't look at it as a checklist that I've got to check off in my life. If you do that, you will live a miserable Christian life. <laughs> because how many know that there's always one more check? There's always one more thing I have to do. There's always one more thing I have to change. And, and it, it goes on and on and on until you feel like you're a failure. And that's not the relationship that Jesus desires to have with us. So don't look at this as a checklist. And so we're looking at the things and the teachings that, that God cares about. We see God's heart. We see his kingdom. We, we see, we're going to see how we can live in that kingdom. So it's not a checklist. Try to obtain a standard of holiness in my own strength. Because I can't do anything without Christ's strength. And so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to fulfill all these requirements for us. And so this is the expectation that Jesus has for us as we follow him. And so Jesus, literally, as we jump into this, he wants us to live a blessed life. How many of you want to live a blessed life? I want to live a blessed life. I want God's hand upon me. And so through this message, Jesus shows us what a blessed life looks like. Now, remember this. A blessed life in the kingdom of God looks much different from what others consider in this world to be a blessed life. Because they would say, well, the more things you have, the better job you have. The more material things you have, the more blessed you are. But how many of you know that's not true? Just because you have more toys doesn't mean you're more blessed. Just because you have more toys doesn't mean you're more happy. And so Jesus is saying, this is what a blessed life looks like in the kingdom of God. And so this message is going to be a a stark difference from what we would see in the world. And so Jesus starts this message as he goes up on this mountainside. His disciples are with him. This crowd gathers around him. And he starts by saying this. 
he teaches these beatitudes. He begins to describe a blessed person. And basically, the beatitudes are basically this. It literally means to be blessed or to be happy. Jesus says, this is a happy person. This is what it means to truly be blessed. And it's because, see, as he's teaching this, the mindset of the Hebrew at that time is blessings are, you have all these things in your life. That's, that's blessing. And, and Jesus is going to kind of come against that a little bit. And what Jesus is speaking about here is more than this temporary happiness or things that you've accumulated in your life or whether or not circumstances are good in your life. He says to be blessed is to have this right relationship with God, that my standing with God is correct because of Christ. And this is what gives me peace. So what Jesus is saying is this, a blessed life or a happy life is that my sins have been forgiven and what was broken because of sin has now been healed. And now I'm actually friends with God and no longer an object of actually of God's wrath. So blessed means exactly this. It means to be in a right standing with God. And so what Jesus will do is he's going to tell us, what does it mean to be in right standing with God? And it's going to come really in direct conflict with the religious of that day. And so when I'm in right standing with God, it humbles me, it changes me, it causes me to act differently, differently than the world would choose to act. So Jesus tells us, you are blessed if you embrace my word. So let's, let's look at this blessing. I want to look at Matthew chapter 5, and this is what he starts. This is how he starts the Sermon on the Mount. I want to look at verses 1 through 11. These are the Beatitudes. Many of you have heard of these, but let's look at them. We're going to dive into it. So Jesus says here, starting verse 1, he says, Now when Jesus saw the crowd... Here he goes up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came with him and he began to teach. And this is what Jesus says. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed, happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are, are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says these are blessed people. So let's, let's break this down and let's see what Jesus means by this. And what does it mean to be happy in the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's what true humility is. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, here's what Jesus is saying. He says, happy are those that recognize that they are bankrupt without God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It doesn't mean to be full of yourself or look how great I am. Jesus says it's recognizing that I'm literally bankrupt without God. Pride keeps us from recognizing our need for God and the kingdom of God. We are not the center of the universe. We realize I can't do it without God. I need your help. And sometimes life will bring us to our knees and literally break us. See, we're taught in this world, in our society, that we are the center of 
of the world, aren't we? We are. We're the center. We're the, we're the, be the master of your destiny. We're the center. Everything revolves around it. It's, it's customer service, customer appreciation, right? Have it your way. We want to do everything to please you, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm like, I walk around. I'm like, hey, they want to please me. I want it done now. I want it done yesterday. And I want it done right. Because I'm the consumer, right? And so we get this mentality, everything revolves around it. And when things don't go exactly our way, we're like, well, wait a minute, what happened? I thought I'm the center of the universe, right? Why, why isn't it going my way? And so here's what we need to realize. In God's kingdom, Jesus said, happy are those that realize they are bankrupt without God. Those are the ones that have come and say, God, I need you. I can't do it without you. See, we're taught in this world that we're the center. You're the master of your destiny. And, and it's hard to know God and to hear God's voice when I'm not broken. And for some reason, many of us are not as far down life's road as we want to be. We say, I need to be further. I need to go further. And it's all this, and it's this pride that gets in the way and these accomplishments. And meanwhile, God's trying to speak to us, and he can't. It, it reminds me of the story of this, this golfer, and he's golfing, and he's, he's this announcer from the clubhouse comes on the, announcer, on the announcer, on the PA system, and he says to him, to this man, he says, uh, Sir, please step back to the men's tee. And so the guy's trying to just tee the ball off. He's, he's trying to hit the ball again. And then the announcer comes back onto it again. He's like, uh, sir, please step back to the men's tee. And finally, he's like, I'm trying to hit the ball. And all of a sudden, everyone starts looking. You know, everyone's like, in the clubhouse are starting to look. And people that are waiting to tee off are starting to look. And then a third time, the announcer gets on. And he goes, sir, would you please step back to the men's tee? Finally, the guy gets so frustrated. He goes, would you shut up? I'm trying to hit my second shot. Right now, I golf, and that happens to me quite a bit. <laughs> right? See, what 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 we tend to do when pride gets in the way, we, we we try to hide it, and we try to make things better than they are. Right? So here's this guy. He's trying to just hit the ball. He realized he didn't hit a very. He, he duffed the ball. And he's trying to hit the second. Net. Meanwhile, everybody's looking at what this guy's mistake. Right? And this guy's trying to hide it. You see, what God says, those that are blessed in the kingdom don't try to hide their mistakes. They realize they're bankrupt without God. They're trying not to put on this false sense of I've got it all together. I'm actually poor in spirit. I actually need you, God. See, in God's kingdom, it's opposite to what we see in this world's kingdom. It's when you are weak that you are strong. When you admit you need Christ, that's when you're blessed. So Jesus goes on to say, he goes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, what does this mean? What is Jesus saying here? Now, he's not talking about when you lose a loved one. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about here. It means, he says, when you mourn over your sin, when you mourn over your separation from God, and when we mourn over our separation in God, what it should result in is, is repentance and turning back towards God. Jesus says the ones that are blessed are the ones that recognize their need for God. And, and because of their sin and their waywardness, it separated them from God. And they mourn over that. They say, God, I'm sorry. Man, I've, I've missed you. 
I've done things my own way, and I need you, God. He goes, blessed are those that mourn of this, and for they're going to be comforted, and, 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 and turning back towards God, they're going to find comfort and healing for their sin. We have to realize that my sin hurts others, and it's alienated me from God. Here's a great definition of repentance. Repentance is it's a change of mind and heart that leads to a change in behavior. It's a change of mind and heart that leads to a change in behavior. When I repent, that's when restoration starts. My broken relationship with God is repaired, and, and it will repair the broken relationships in my life. So God says, Blessed are those that mourn, because they will, and it's not this where God just wants to keep hitting, you know, keeping you down and saying, Look how bad you are, and you know, and, and living in that state of unworthiness. That's not what God wants. God says, when you recognize your sin and that you've tried to do it your own way and you turn to God to allow him to heal you, he goes, then you'll find joy. That's where you'll find happiness. That's where you'll find peace. You're going to be comforted in that time because God will heal you of those things. That's the reason why Jesus came, to call sinners to him so that they could find forgiveness and healing and come back into a right relationship with God. Then Jesus goes on and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. First of all, let me say that meekness is not weakness. Sometimes that we look at meekness or gentleness is, is, is detrimental. Like people are going to walk all over me. But meekness is gentleness. It's, it's, it's not bullying others or asserting my own agenda. Literally, what this word means, it means, it means strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. And the picture that Jesus wants you to see is this. He wants you to get this picture of, of a strong horse with a bit in its mouth being controlled by the rider. Now, who's actually stronger? The horse or the rider? Now, obviously, some of you that know about horses, I know nothing about horses. Horses scare me. And the reason why they scare me is because I didn't have a good experience on horses. And the only experiences I had on horses haven't been really good experience on horses. I'll give you point, uh, I'll give you point in case here. Um, in the 90s, we went on a missions trip to Montana. We're on Indian Reservation, great missions trip. We had this great idea to go on a horse ride, a four-hour horse ride, okay? I've never been on a horse except for like two minutes to get a photo op, and that was it, right? Not a four-hour trip. We ran out of horses. So Kathleen, my wife, has the horse called Sonny, who's a trail horse, he was three days older than Moses, I think. And he just, you know, while he didn't know, this was his speed. This is Sonny's speed. This is it. This is Sonny. This is his gear. This is it for Sonny. I'm like, oh, you got such a nice horse, Kath. Sonny, he was nice. We, it, just a beautiful horse. And so the guy that was leading the trail ride comes to me and he goes, listen, Pastor, we ran out of horses, but you can have my horse. I'm like, okay, well, who's your horse? I look over, he goes, my horse is called Thunder. Now, Thunder, Thunder had one gear. Thunder was this roping horse that he would take to rodeos and he'd barrel ride with it and chase down calves and rope. And he goes, now, I got one bit of advice as you ride Thunder. I'm like, what's that? He goes, don't 
let go of the reins. I'm like, why? What's, what's, why if, what, what happens? He goes, because if you let go of the reins, he will take off like lightning. He will just, he, he, knows, he knows one gear and that's fat. So I'm white knuckling for four hours. Hold on. Thunder, and he wants to go. He, he's not sunny. He's not, you know, just trotting along, you know, down, down on the road, tumbling weeds. I mean, that's, that's sunny. I get thunder, right? Horrible experience. It wasn't good. So we got done with that experience. And so horses for me, but, but, but the bit on thunder, it was true. This horse was powerful. This horse was fast. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to do a wedding. And um, the bride came in on a, on a horse and, and buggy. It was beautiful. It was Randy Martin's horse. He has a buggy. It was beautiful. Now, the horse that Randy has is not a little horse. This thing is a Belgium. It's, it's like, you know, the Clydesdale. They're huge. And just the massiveness. I think it weighed like 20,000 pounds, this horse. It was just huge, right? And it's just powerful. This thing, if it wanted to get loose, forget about it. It just, it would probably cut a trail through the woods, knocking down tree. I don't know. This thing's huge. But what's interesting about it is it was, comes in, right, has the bit in its mouth. And it's controlled by this little bit. It's strength under control. And that's what Jesus, Jesus is saying. Listen, those that are meek shall inherit the earth. Not the proud, not the ones that boast, not the ones who think they're all in control and powerful and, and try to show off. He goes, it's, it's, it's power under control. Meekness, grace, gentleness is the heart that Jesus is looking for. Then Jesus goes on. He says, listen, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who seek the true source of righteousness. They see God as the source of all righteousness. It was interesting. There was a study that was done. It was called Reveal. And they asked people, what was the number one thing for their spiritual growth? What was the number one thing for their spiritual growth? Was it worship? Was it sermons? Was it group Bible studies? The number one overwhelming response to people's spiritual growth, are you ready, was this. Pastor Barden's preaching. No, I'm just teasing. No, it wasn't that. Here was the number one. So for pastors, this hurts a little bit. But here was the number one response. Are you ready? Guess what it was? Personal Bible reading. Those that sought the Lord on them by themselves, that opened up the Bible, that studied the Bible on their own, that read the Word of God, that let the Word of God permeate their hearts and lives. That was the number one response to their personal growth, was their own personal time with Jesus. Go figure. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Satisfied. So my encouragement for you is get into God's word. Have that personal time alone with Jesus. You will be satisfied. And it's amazing when you do that, when life's trials and difficulties come, you're training yourself. You're preparing yourself. You're growing deep roots in the Lord. Your roots are deep because you've been preparing. And when this trial comes or these things come, there's going to be a verse, a scripture verse, that's just going to come into your heart to say, God, I knew this was going to come, but I know you're, you're good, you're 
promises are there because you've been developing this personal relationship with Christ. You've been immersing yourself in God's word so that you're strong and that you're going to withstand those difficult times because you've been growing and you've been hungering and thirsting for righteousness and you're going to be satisfied. Then Jesus goes on and he says, listen, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Now this one I want to dive into a little bit because this is a difficult one for all of us and that's showing mercy. Forgiveness is, is one of the central messages of the cross. And it, here's why it's one of the most central messages to the gospel message is for this reason. Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve it. Deserve it. Jesus showed us mercy when we didn't deserve to be shown mercy. God demonstrates Romans 5, 8. He demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still what? Sinners. Jesus died for us. So he says, listen, for a follower of Christ, a disciple of me, someone that's part of my kingdom, someone that wants to be blessed, wants to be healthy, that what's the characteristic of that heart is one that shows mercy. Now, this is a choice that we make not based on merit. So what does that mean? Jesus forgave us. He went to the cross In spite of us, in spite of us having it all together or even coming to him, Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do as they hurled insults at him. What was that? Jesus was showing mercy to people who didn't deserve it or merit it. The minute you think you deserve God's love because of something you merited, guess what? You disqualify yourself. You disqualify yourself because now you're saying, I merited God's love because of who I am. Uh, 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 uh. I'm a sinner that Jesus came to save. So the minute I say, God, listen, God loves you in spite of that. His love is unconditional. He loved you when you were far away from just as much as he loves you now when you wake up in the morning and open your Bible. Loves you just as much. There in your Bible study as when you were far away from him and you didn't give two thoughts about Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? His love is unconditional. You you can't earn any more of God's love. Just because you came to church today doesn't mean you earn any more of God's love. His love is unconditional. It's not merited based on your behavior. See, If we're going to be merciful people, it's got to be a choice that we make. Because if I base my mercy on my feelings, and that person doesn't deserve my mercy or my forgiveness, and if I'm basing it on some merit system that I set up in my life, am I ever going to forgive that person? Survey says, no. So what do I do? Okay. Oh, God, help me here. Because this crazy driver, this person that cut me off, this nasty person in line, worker I work can't stand them. They don't deserve my mercy. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Right? So what do I do? Now, what I do in my heart is I set up my own merit system. Right? 
They deserve it. They don't. And then we, we, we categorize it. We classify it. Deserve it. Don't deserve it. Deserve it. Don't deserve it. We, you know, look at me. You know, look how wonderful I am. Don't deserve, deserve The only way I can rectify this is by coming back to the cross. And I got to place myself right in front of the cross and say, Jesus, did I deserve your mercy? Mm-mm. Do I deserve any of your forgiveness? Mm-mm. Did I merit any of your forgiveness? If I'm going to be a follower of you and you call me the wretched sinner that I am and you forgive me and if your spirit's placed in me and if I'm living a gospel-centered life, then I've got to be a, a person that's willing to show mercy. So let's, let's, let's unfold this. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Because I think the problem we run into is for us that have been abused or come against or, or, or sinned against. That's the, I'm not, believe me, I don't want to whitewash this and say this doesn't hurt. So let, let's, let me talk about this for a minute because what is forgiveness? Do I only forgive when someone deserves it? Because that's the question. I heard a pastor say this. He said, unforgiveness causes us to become like the people who hurt us. So, and we know that unforgiveness, the Bible says, leads to bitterness. It, 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 it puts us in a prison. It, it chains us to that other person who hurt us. Um, so when you forgive someone, especially those who've sinned against you, this is the hard one. Or, or you've been abused. How do, you, how do you work through that? These atrocities that people have gone through. Many, they say one in four people have been, been abused sexually. So if we're looking at our church, the church of our size, we've got actually a small church of just people that have gone through huge abuse. So how do we deal with that? How, how do I work through that, Pastor? How do I work through this whole forgiveness thing? Because Jesus is blessed with the merciful. So here's what I want you to see. This is what it doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean this. Are you ready? And if you want to write this down, this might help some of you. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean what happened to you is not a big deal. That's what it doesn't mean. Um, Especially for those in abuse cases. But I want you to know that Jesus died for that sin that was against you. He died for that one too. So it doesn't mean that it's not a big deal. The second thing I want you to realize, it doesn't mean that they're getting away with something. Because I think sometimes when we, we feel like we offer forgiveness for something that we've gone through, we feel like, okay, if I offer forgiveness for this thing, then I'm letting that person off the hook. No, that doesn't mean they're, they're getting away. It's not denial. It's, it's not... Um, I will forget this. Um, it will be something you'll probably always remember. It doesn't mean that it still will not hurt. But here's the good news. But it's something that doesn't have to enslave you any longer. And I believe forgiveness is what releases you from that pain and that hurt. This is where Christ comes in 
and brings her brings brings comfort and healing and redeems that thing that happened to you and God can use it for his purposes and his glory. So it doesn't mean someone's getting off the hook. Um, They have to stand before God and, and find his forgiveness also through repentance. So let's be realistic about forgiveness. Let's be realistic about this. Because this will help prepare yourself for those of you that are struggling with offering forgiveness for your past. Because what's going to happen is this. Listen to me closely. What happens is you can easily bury that thing and put it under the carpet and not think about it. And all of a sudden, a similar situation will come up in your life. And all of a sudden, that thing will reveal itself to you. And you're like, man, why am I so bitter? Why am I so mad about that? Why does this thing get me so angry? The reason why it hasn't been forgiven. And so... We may think I'm okay and it's under the carpet and I haven't thought about it in years. And all of a sudden, something similar. You hear somebody, similar story. And all of a sudden, that thing gets dug up again. And the pain and everything else comes up and the bitterness and the anger. And so that's where you need to catch yourself. Because if, that, if, if that's a recurring cycle in your life, then there needs to be forgiveness offered in the name of Christ. So here's, let's be realistic about it. Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Because we say, I'll offer it if they apologize. And and if they own up to their side of the problem. But I want you to be ready for this follower of Jesus. You may never get one. Some may even go to their grave, but that's up to them. Let God deal with them. But for you, follower of Jesus, you must show mercy. So be realistic about that. You may never get an apology. And you may even offer forgiveness and nothing comes back. And you're like, what? What's up with that? You humble yourself, show mercy, offer forgiveness, even though you may never receive it back or have that person own up to their side of it. They might. But let, let not that be your motivation. Capiche? Amen? Okay. Another thing about forgiveness. Prepare yourself. Forgiveness doesn't mean that that other person will come around. They may not. Okay, They may not come around. But that doesn't... Do you think... Can you imagine if that was Jesus' mentality? Right? He would have never gone to the cross. But Jesus did it anyways. And he knew some wouldn't come to him. He knew some would still reject him. But did that stop him from offering forgiveness for sins? No. But he knew some wouldn't come around. But that didn't stop Jesus from dying for our sins. See, reconciliation takes two people. And sad to say, that may never happen. Hopefully it does, but it may never happen. But forgiveness breaks the bitterness that can grip your hearts. Don't allow the other person's poison to kill you. Break that chain by offering forgiveness. The merciful, the merciful will find mercy. And there's too many people that are walking around in so much bitterness because of their past. And it's holding them back from having a full relationship 
in Christ. The merciful will find mercy. Then Jesus goes on and says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, Christ is the only one that can give you a pure heart. He cleanses us from the inside out. We can fake our behavior or come across as better than we are. But God looks at the heart. The one that seeks a pure heart says, God, purify my motives. Guard me from selfishness. Protect me from wanting to get my way. A pure heart is open to correction. It's, not a, it, it, it's admitting when we are wrong. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They allow God to purify their motives and what they do. Guard my heart against selfishness. Guard against uh, my ambitions or leveraging things to get my way. God, protect my heart. When God has your heart, everything else in your life is going to line up. Everything else in your life is going to line up. Then Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Makers. Two things that should concern us here as followers of Christ. First is our relationship with God. Second is our relationship with each other. And so what Jesus does is he comes to bring peace between us and God, to reconcile that which was broken because of sin. And most relationships are broken because of sin. I would say the majority of broken relationships is because of sin. And so think of your broken relationship and then think of what the cause is And I guarantee it's because of some sinful action. And so the question we have to ask is, do we avoid conflict or do we work through it? And so working through that conflict can actually bring us closer. So is the main goal working towards resolution and peace? Or do we remain stubborn? And Jesus said, that's not a peacemaker. A person that's a Christ follower that's understood the peace that God has placed into his heart, the peace that Jesus has brought us into with that relationship with God the Father, we should be the ones that are proactive in creating peace in those relationships by actively pursuing reconciliation. God actually calls us to do that, to be agents of of, of reconciliation, to, to be missionaries of reconciliation to bring a lost world into right relationship with God. That should also translate into our broken relationships. Are we moving towards peace or are we moving towards these broken relationships? Blessed are the peacemakers. And then the last thing Jesus says here is, blessed are those who are persecuted for for righteousness sake, those that come against you. And sometimes we'll be persecuted for what we believe And we can be the most loving and caring person, but because we follow Jesus and stand for different things like the sanctity of life or the sanctity of marriage, we're going to be persecuted for that. Why? Why? Because because we're standing for the things that Christ wants us to stand up for and to believe in. And when you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes you're just going to be, you're going to, they're just going to persecute you just because. And you can be the nicest, kindest, most graceful person in the world. And we will still become against for Jesus' sake. But he says, happy are you when people do come against you for my name's sake. But follow me. Show love irregardless of what people may say against you because you are a follower of Christ. See, what do all these things have in common? All these blessed, happy beatitudes, what do they all have in common? Well, it's interesting when you look at all of them, 
It's all about humbling ourselves before God's hand. All of them have this commonality that I must be broken to allow God to work through my heart. To allow God to work through my brokenness. To allow God to redeem my failures and the things that I've done wrong. There's a story, I'm reading through a book right now, there's a story of a man who is a cell biologist. He loved to hike. And um, he loves coffee. The problem is when he would bring freeze-dried coffee on his trip, the coffee he would bring tasted terrible. It's like the coffee that you get at your grandma's house that she'd have up in the cupboard for 30 years. Do you want some coffee? Let me first look, Grandma. Where are you getting it from? I got this Sanka that I've had up here since 1932. Do you want some of that? I think I'll pass, right? So what this cell biologist did is he created this freeze-dried coffee that was unbelievable. So his hiking buddies, he'd go off in the Northwest and hike. They were like, is there a Starbucks around here that we don't see? What do you got? You know, because boil water, put the... And he said, I developed this freeze that just tasted unbelievable. So he had this brilliant idea to go to the president of Starbucks and pitch his freeze-dried coffee. The president of Starbucks flipped out He goes, I want you to come on our research team. Quit his job as a cell biologist to work for Starbucks to develop all these different new styles of coffee. The guy was brilliant. So what this guy does is he he developed this uh, one coffee that was coffee-flavored soda. And it was called Mesogram. How many have heard of Mesogram? None of you, because it totally failed. (laughs) Nobody liked it. It was the worst coffee in the world, and nobody liked this Mesogran coffee. And so he felt like a huge failure. And, um, and he even had Mesogran put on his license plate for a reason. So what he does, he stayed there. They didn't fire him. He stayed there. Eventually, he went on to develop the science behind what we call now the Frappuccino. How many of you have ever had a Frappuccino? Can I get an Amen. Even at McDonald's, they're not bad, right? So my kids love Frappuccinos, right? And so he developed the science behind this Frappuccino. But the reason why he kept the license plate was for this reason. He said this. I want to celebrate my failures because God can redeem my failures. This guy was a strong follower of Jesus Christ. Eventually, this man would die of, of cancer. And, and they actually named a coffee flavor after him. And uh, if you've ever had the Valencia flavor, Don Valencia, that's who the guy, Starbucks named that after that guy. But this guy celebrated his failures. The author of this book says this, because I think the whole Beatitudes is all about humbling ourselves before God, God using the brokenness, God allowing to work in our hearts, not seeing ourselves more than we should. Here's here's what this author said. He said, I love these words. He says, and here's what Jesus says, and this is why I think Matthew was such a strong follower of Jesus. He says, yet Jesus continues to select broken and splattered people, not just as followers, but as participants. He called people like me who can't even figure out which end of a plastic bag to open his hands. 
He called people who trip every day his feet. And he called people who can't figure out which way to turn a screw or to even tighten a screw the ones who would build his kingdom. Listen, if you want to be blessed today and happy in the Lord, come to him with your brokenness. Don't hide your failures. Celebrate them to the point where you say, God, you can redeem my mistakes. And for this man, Don, his license plate was a constant reminder to him that God can redeem failures. That God can redeem brokenness. And I think sometimes God allows the scars in our lives to be scars. I got this scar on my chin right here and it reminds me of when I was 10 years old and I fell on a winter's day on the stairs of the Maplewood YMCA in the city and I cut it wide open and I was afraid to tell my parents so I put my towel on it to the next day till it was too late to get stitches so I have a huge scar on my kids always like what's that dad? This scar reminds me of when I tripped and I fell. I think sometimes God leaves those scars, even though he heals us, he leaves them there as a reminder that God says, I can use your brokenness for my glory. And some of you, you're, you're pretty scarred up. But God says, blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Those are the people that I call. So let's strive to be this. To be the broken people that God calls not to hide that stuff, but to be the broken people that God has called me not to hide it from the world. When we talk to the world, we want to make sure, hey, you know, how you doing? Yeah, I'm all better now. I'm a follower of Jesus and I go to church and I read my Bible and I raise my hands and worship and look at me, hallelujah, right? And we're afraid to tell people in the world, you know, I have struggles too. I make mistakes. I lose my patience at times. God's still working on me. But here's the thing that I do know is God uses my brokenness and my hurt and my pain for his glory. Let's be real and authentic. That's what all this is. Jesus wants real, authentic, hurting people. That's who Matthew was. Real, authentic, hurting people. That's who Jesus calls. So for you here today, here's two things I want to leave you with and we're going to close in prayer worship team's going to come. We're just going to close in song. Here's two things I want to leave with you today. Number one, stop hiding your failure. Let God redeem it. And number two, if there's something in your heart that you need to offer forgiveness to somebody and show mercy that doesn't deserve it, then allow God to break your heart and to take you to the cross and allow his spirit to fill you today to offer forgiveness, especially the ones that don't forgive it, that don't deserve it, because that's when it's really hard. Easy to give it to somebody who, who wants it or is open to it, right? But to give it to the ones that don't deserve it, that's when you know that Jesus is truly working in your heart. It's a choice. So respond to God that way, and Jesus says, you will be blessed. You will be comforted when you do 
those things. So, Lord, as we come before you today, we thank you for your word. God, I pray as we just continue to dive into the Sermon on the Mount, I pray that you would continue to break our hearts and cause us to be more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your words today. And I pray that they would speak to our hearts. You're not looking for perfect people. You're looking for broken people. You're not looking for people that have it all together. You're looking for people who admit that they don't have it all together. So God, help us to be honest with ourselves and with you and to allow you to work through us so that we can live the blessed life that you've called us to live. We thank you and we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank God for his word. And his word good. Love God's word. Love teaching it. So let's just respond to that today. So let's stand as we sing and song and let God just work in your hearts as we close the service. God bless you.